So now that we're on episode 75, 75 of the event safety, it's crazy. It's crazy. Of the event safety podcast, I think we've got just enough quality control to throw open the doors to podcast advertising. Gentle listeners, to give you a taste of how your safety conscious business would sound coming out of our mouths, we're going to try out a promo for an organization that we love the Event Safety Alliance. So here goes. All right. Imagine this is your organization. The Event Safety Alliance is the leading association for event and venue professionals who care about safety, security, and risk management. Ten years ago, when we were creating the first edition of the Event Safety Guide, second edition work is in the works now, here's how we described ESA members. We are people who have made our careers in live entertainment, who have experience and expertise who take our jobs seriously so that other people may safely have fun. And that's pretty much who we still are. ESA creates safety guidance for both event production and operations. We lead educational programs for people new to the industry and for old hands who could use a reminder about safe practices. We have virtual programming, which is great now that we're all busy again. Um, we have in-person programs like our severe weather event and the upcoming event safety summit. So ESA has an experience and an educational opportunity for pretty much every safety-minded event professional. So podcast listeners, we obviously talk to you and people that you know and work with. So if you have something you'd like us to chat about, we're happy to do it. The best way to do that is email me at podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Again, podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. And just as a follow-up, don't forget to register for the Event Safety Summit coming up in Houston. Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Fernandez. And I'm Steve Edelman, and I'm not a gorilla. And you're not, and I'm not either, but you know what? We will mention gorillas in today's podcast. Gorillas will actually figure rather prominently. So if you don't have any clue what we're talking about, which doubtless you don't because we just started. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's premature. Um, There's a video. So if you're in your car, just keep going and you'll watch the video later. later. Do not drive and watch a video. But if you're someplace where you're seated and not operating heavy machinery, um, there is a video that Jacob is linking in the show notes for this episode. Watch the video, and it will give you an insight into the psychological phenomenon that we are going to discuss for the rest of this pod. All right. So stop. Go listen. Don't get into a car accident listening to a safety podcast. That's super embarrassing. That would be really bad. And you're back. Welcome back. Okay. Welcome back. All right. So, so that's not a new thing. We've we've seen ma- many people have seen that before. But although this one actually has a fun variation. Yes, so I like if, if you truly did stop listening, um, you know what we're about to say. If you haven't, all that we're going to say, we're not going to spoil the video. So do watch the video, but. The main part of the video that people, some people are familiar with is 
a scene of people passing a basketball. Yep, you're given you're, an instruction. Yeah, at the beginning of the video, you're like, count how many passes the players wearing a certain color shirt are doing. And your job, your task is to count the balls moving around and there's multiple people. And, and a gorilla walks through the scene of people tossing a basketball. And the test, and this is psychology going back to, I think, 1979, um, the test is to see if you notice the gorilla. And it's a pretty obvious gorilla. It's a human being dressed in a gorilla suit, thumping their chest and then walking off the, the stage. And in many iterations of this test, roughly half the people watching fail to see a human-sized gorilla thumping their chest in the middle of a group of people tossing a basketball. And when I say that, if you're not familiar with this, you ought to be thinking, ah, oh, that's nonsense. Of course I would see it. <laughs> of, right, exactly. Of course I would see it. And that is why we're having this conversation. So now I have to provide a little context, and then we will talk through the, the phenomenon, which is known in psychology circles as inattentional blindness inattentional blindness. That's what we're talking about. We'll include some other stuff in the show notes if you want to chase that rabbit hole, if you want a deeper dive, or if this is new to you. Yeah. So, so here's why we're talking about inattentional blindness today. And, you know, this is part of the ongoing quest. Wait, 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 to wait. You couldn't think that shows in general are just exactly this thing. Anyway, go on. Well, so Danielle, <laughs> that is precisely where we're going with this. <laughs> to us and doubtless podcast listeners, to you also, shows are exactly the situation. Everybody, whether it's back of house production people, front of house security, guests walking in, seeing shiny things and cool stuff and merch they need to buy and friends they need to make or meet or whatever. There are so many demands on our attention, and that's what live events are. They are massive attention grabbers, which is why people go to them. It's why we don't just sit in our living room and watch every concert on Netflix or something. So this brought to your attention specifically this time because of? Because I was having a conversation with some people who do not work in our industry, and without putting too fine a point on it, they insisted that people who attend events have basically unimpeded attention, just like they would be walking down the street on a normal day with nothing else going on, no other demands on, on their attention or their vision or hearing or any other sense and, and I worked so hard to make this show capture every bit of their attention. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I had a case, not to call out anyone. So I had a case several years ago with a major event promoter at its center. And this major event promoter puts on the shiniest, coolest shows with giant Ferris wheels with lights and that you can see for miles in the distance and thumping music that you can hear from the parking lot 
you know, with your windows rolled up as you're parking your car, you can hear, you can feel the bass under your feet. There are so many demands on your attention. Not surprisingly, something that was left on the ground where pedestrians would foreseeably walk from the parking lot to the, the venue uh, was a trip hazard. Nobody saw it and somebody tripped and fell. Not a huge case, but the whole idea that I had to convince the other side was with so many draws on the attention of people traversing that area from the parking lot to the venue, that reduces the likelihood of them seeing something which in the broad light of day, yeah, they probably would have seen it. But at night, in the middle of a crowd, all crossing an intersection together, uh, when everybody's looking up to see the giant, beautifully lit Ferris wheel and listening to the music and deciding who's playing first and stuff like that. Yeah, people miss all sorts of cues. And that's the concept of inattentional blindness, which is actually a matter of science, which is why I like talking about this. Because when I was having this conversation several times recently, um, I wasn't quick enough on my feet to say, it's not just me and anecdotal observations about really cool shows and how much they attract our attention by design. It's not just me you know, telling you stories, but rather it is demonstrated science over the course of many years and, you know, People who do have legitimate university degrees after their name, um, they have run tests and proven what I'm telling you anecdotally. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't quick enough on my feet, but now I am. And so I am holding in my hot little hands, showing you, Danielle, and Jake <laughs> watching this. It's a book called The Invisible Gorilla, um, How Our Intuitions Deceive Us, by Christopher Shabris, C-H-A-B-R-I-S, and Daniel Simons. And the gist of it is exactly what I just said. When we are paying attention to one thing, particularly one thing that we're paying a lot of attention to, we are effectively wearing blinders. Um, I mean, and, and that's... That's logical, right? You know, your eyes see everything. If all you did was see everything, you would be frozen. So the brain has to do a lot of calculating. It's like, what's important? It's it's why we talk about um, things like active listening, you know, and confirmation biases. It's making sure that you're hearing what's actually going on and you're seeing what's, and not just what your brain is like, I've seen this before and here's my shortcuts because you're getting so much data all the time that your brain has to figure out what's important. I've got another example other than shows for people to think about as we get a little bit more into the nerdy science. So if you go into a grocery store, there's a ton of science in a grocery store about what captures your attention from the second you walk in. The way they do the layout of the store, the way they have produce in certain places, how they set it up, where products are on shelves, you know, the vendors pay money to put things at different heights because of eye level and things like that. Next time you're in a grocery store, guys, see if you can remember by the time you get to the back corners of the stores to note any exit other than the one you came in. 
and I actually look for it. Don't just assume it's by where you think the bathroom is. Because and, and, and start. I love grocery shopping. So just as a as a precursor, start right now. Do you know where there is any exit in your preferred supermarket other than the way you came in? Right. So I love grocery shopping. I'm one of those. <laughs> and I like to, you know, try to shop the sales and all of that. So I'm focused on that. And when my kids were small, I was focused on keeping them from being everywhere, but where I needed them to be and to stop putting all the cookies in the cart. But when you're in the store, you're very task oriented and there's data everywhere and it's pretty and it's shiny and you're using your imagination. It's like, I could make curry or I could make kebabs or I could make lasagna, you know? So there's all this stuff. What's not on your mind at all is where's the closest exit. <laughs> so it's that sort of, uh, we do the same thing with shows. We cultivate your experience from the time you park your car to the time you go into the building. And that's true even in a high school show. So uh, we're going to talk about the science of inattentional blindness. And then we're going to talk about our responsibilities and some strategies, both for us and for the people that we're responsible for in these situations. So Steve, science to you. <laughs> Yeah, so let's nerd out for a few minutes. And, you know, I'm leafing through pages in the book, The Invisible Gorilla, which I recommend highly. It's not new um, and it's not difficult reading either. Um, so the fact that I nerded out on this is not a suggestion that you can't do this for yourself. Um, so one thing that grabbed me from the beginning is this concept of the illusion of attention. And that was what I first had to deal with in these conversations where I was with, that I was having with people who don't work in our industry. They could not believe that people's attention span would be so severely compromised when folks were going to or attending a live event that they couldn't see things which these non-industry professionals thought were pretty open and obvious. And the concept described in The Invisible Gorilla is called the illusion of attention, which is all of us thinking that we are better observers than we actually are. And that's what the gorilla basketball passing video is all about. It's to break through your sense of, you know, you're the Superman and everyone else actually is too. No, actually, we all have inattentional blindness to one degree or another. Um, and all of us have less attention span than any of us think we do. So the first step is to recognize we perceive a lot less than we think. Then the next step, as I see it, is, well, how come somebody didn't look? Um, you know, so I've had trip hazard cases and and cases where people got hurt on things that if they had just looked, they could have seen. So here's a passage. This is from page 16 of the Invisible Gorilla. So looking is necessary for seeing. If you don't look at it, you can't possibly see it. But looking is not sufficient for seeing. Looking at something doesn't guarantee that you'll notice it. And in the show notes also, we're going to attach a link to an article 
involving some radiologists, medical professionals. You know, these are people with super advanced training and medical school is hard um, and a lot of years. So these people are supremely focused on looking at slides of people's insides and seeing things that are anomalous. That's what they do. So there's an article <laughs> in which radiologists were given some slides of people who had lung biopsies. And on some of the lung biopsy slides, in kind of an homage to the basketball passing video, in some of the lung biopsy slides, the test organizers put an image of a gorilla. And the gorilla was okay, 48. <laughs> it's just great. I mean, it's just so funny. Um, the gorilla was 48 times larger than the average lung nodule. Again, these were lung biopsy slides, meaning they're pretty big and still some astronomical number. What is it? Not only did every non- 83% of the radiologists even missed it, also missed it, even though the image was 48 times larger than the average lung nodule. Even majority of radiologists who I looked directly at the gorilla image still missed it. And these, ex their experts may perform slightly better than naive observers because their attentional capacity is less than completely occupied by the primary task. So it's, it's interesting, you know, they weren't expecting to see a gorilla, so they didn't see a gorilla. And that's so if we're not we're... expecting to see a trip hazard, we might not see it. Right. And who is least likely to expect a trip hazard, let's say? It's going to be somebody who's attending the event or somebody who is working on some other aspect of the production and who's focused on their work. So to me, and this is how this is how I was oriented to the conversation that I was having, it's an allocation of duties of care. And the allocation is the people who are essentially guests at a space, whether they are working on a temporary basis or they're ticket holders coming to be entertained, they're the ones with the lowest expectation that the premises will be hazardous to their health. They're not looking for that at all. And sometimes that's true of the performer as well, or performers. Like if you've got, well, I, it depends, obviously. If you've got a trained acrobat and the hazards are the trapeze stuff, that's a different thing. But if you've got a, a choir of kids, they're not expecting anything to be dangerous between them and their bus and, and the risers on stage. And, and their parents aren't either, by the way. <laughs> you know, their parents right. are kind of like Danielle's supermarket story. Their parents are just happy when they're not doing things that they shouldn't be doing that will, you know, imperil Don't life put and limb. The Oreos in the cart. <laughs> Keep your hands away from the cookies. So the allocation of duties of care is really what I was struggling with and why I found this book, The Invisible Gorilla, because it's simply unrealistic to expect people to have equally accessible attention spans. 
our respective roles in event production, event operation, event attendance, to a significant degree, determine how much attention we have available and to what we will devote that attention. And I got to tell you, I was really struggling to explain that. And the only thought that I had at the time, because I was just kind of locked into this one thing is, you don't go to shows. You don't understand how excited people get when they're going to an event. And I felt kind of sad for these people. It's like, oh, you must lead a rather dull and insular life. But that's not constructive, so I didn't say it. And it's probably not even true. They probably it's probably not even true. They probably don't recognize what they're not seeing, just that, like everybody right. else. That, that's exactly right. <laughs> right. So I had this snarky thought, and I put it away because it's probably wrong and probably just goes back to the original thing that I talked about, the illusion of attention. We all assume that we're better at seeing stuff than we actually are. You know, how many times have you seen a sign that says, see something, say something, and thought, I don't even have time to see something. I got to catch my flight or whatever it is that you're doing where you see that sign. It's not it's not consistent with the way people actually behave. And it's very situational. You know, you think about when we're building a show, let's say we're building a, a, a show with a built stage. At times during the in, there may be sections of the stage removed and care is given. But sometimes in preparation for the show, a section is removed at a different time. So you have a leading edge to a hole that someone who wasn't there during construction or even was, but doesn't expect it now, we see people fall off stages all the time in those situations. They weren't expecting there to be a hole there because in their previous experience, there wasn't a hole there. And there you go. So they, they didn't see it. So let's think about this constructively um, yeah. because the allocation of duties of care is a conversation that has to go somewhere. We can't just throw up our hands and say, well, we suck well, at we just, seeing we, things. We don't see anything. Right, we don't see anything. <laughs> so where the analysis goes is let's identify, let's identify the circumstances that make people better, more keen observers. And one of the key factors is familiarity. So take away the excitement of going someplace cool and new. Um, take away the distractions of, I need a t-shirt. You know, because what do the first people in line for any GA show do? They sprint to the merch, which is just bizarre because you can buy some of the merch online, but that's what happens in my observation anyway. Um, so take away all the distractions of newness. And then let's give the people who are charged with safety the opportunity to walk around, walk around when the house is still dark, not physically dark, but when there aren't guests or tons of other activity. So that, you know, imagine if you were walking around a supermarket when you were full and didn't want to buy anything, you'd be a lot more likely to notice things like, where is the exit? 
because you wouldn't be distracted by where are the cookies. Um, so changing the level of distraction to decrease that will have the effect of clearing your attention to notice more. In this case, familiarity breeds attention. And that actually is what the studies show as well. If you dial down the distractions, people see more. Sure. I have my skeptical face on, guys, because I have been uh, binging links of the Eris tour. And it's such it's so beautiful. I would love to go see it. And it's nothing. Daniel's all about Taylor Swift right now. Right now, I'm all, I'm all, all about that that show. But you can see, no one's looking at anything other than the stage. Why Zero would other they things. Be? No one's looking at anything else. And it would be, unre you know, for, for most of these people, this is like the pinnacle thing. And she's putting on a great performance. So it's, it's, it's everything they want it to be. <clears throat> We're not going to dial that down. So there has to be more, more things we can do than just make it less sparkly. And I include that, you know, the GA crowd coming in and getting a shirt and the, you know, I think about some of the other things. I feel like th th there's some lessons from other stuff we do where we already recognize situational awareness, which is the other way of saying this, right? You're aware of what you're doing. You're not aware of the other stuff. So we need to, for workers, make sure that they're aware of what they need to be aware of, not just the shiny. And then is it reasonable that we make sure that the people working in events are aware of what they need to do if they need to get everybody's attention? Yes. Like so is that? I, I'm gonna give you a word, training. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So the first step to sensitize people to a phenomenon is to talk about it, call it by its right name, and talk about it by its right name often enough so that it becomes part of the common language that we associate with a given event. Um, so one thing is training. Another thing is we are human. Um, no matter how much training we have, no matter how many distractions we remove, we all are fallible. We will miss things. There is no psychological experiment where everybody sees everything, nor would there be. Yeah, so, I, want to, I want to read a thing from one of the show notes. Um, it's an article by uh, Daniel Simons. Um, focused attention is crucial to our powers of observation making it possible for us to zero in on what we want to see or hear while filtering out irrelevant distractions. But it has consequences as well. We can miss what would otherwise be obvious and important signals. Okay. Yeah. So if this is the way our brain works, and it, it and is- And we have all this science by sciencey people. Right. You, you don't have to take the word of- you know, somebody who works in a theater and, and a lawyer, you know, we're talking about social psychology here because we're trying to apply it to the world of live event production and operations. Here's a way that 
in another part of our world, they have managed a, what turned out to be a much more significant risk than people originally thought. Baseball. So I'm a big baseball fan. I, I get to tell a sports story. Do I get to tell a sports story too? Okay, oh, yes. We, we can both talk sports. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Event Safety Alliance isn't just about <laughs> music, for goodness sake. Sports and entertainment, they go together. You know, find me a building that hosts a concert one night, and they're probably doing a sporting event the, the next. next. So in baseball, it used to be in some old-timey sepia tone days that everybody watched the game. And therefore, it was perfectly acceptable, both as a matter of cultural norms and the law, to say, if you get hit in the noggin by a foul ball or a shard of you know, Louisville slugger bat, that's on you. Because as a matter of law in the United States, you assume the risk of not paying attention. And that's, that's all was, that fine print on the back of the paper ticket is, right? Uh, yeah, back when there were paper tickets. That's exactly right. <laughs> and in the law, it's called the baseball rule. It's actually the name of it, the baseball rule. It is the rule that every fan assumes the risk of getting hit and therefore they have to pay attention for their own safety. So it in fact is a codification of the concept that everyone does have to be their own you know, safety manager. And you know what happened with the baseball rule? It has gotten whittled down to a nub. And the reason for that is time has shown that people don't pay as much attention as in the old timey days. Well, why would that be? How about giant video screens with lots and lots of statistics that somebody could monitor on their own fantasy baseball team just by looking down at their own cell phone? Well, that's a distraction from the action on the field, isn't it? Oh, and by the way, there are mascots tossing, you know, wrapped hot dogs and shooting crappy oversized t-shirts with some kind of, you know, air cannon into the crowd. And there are all kinds of other things going on to augment the entertainment experience. But here's the point. The point is, ultimately, Major League Baseball, through its individual clubs, collectively said, as aggravating as it is, that people aren't paying as close attention to the game as they used to in old-timey days. We can't fix people's attention span. So what we're going to do is create a physically safer environment. And they extended the netting up to the foul poles in most stadiums. That seems like a reasonable concession. I'm using the legal term reasonable. You're waiting for it, podcast listeners. There you go. <laughs> Drinking game. <Excuse laughs> reasonable. Everybody drink. So it is a reasonable concession to the way human attention works. And human attention isn't only physiology. It's not just chemicals and neurons. It's also culture. So all of these things, podcast listeners, back to you, all of these things determine the allocation of safety duties towards you and away from people who are paying attention to either their specific work, if they're a production person, or 
the fan attendance experience that they're looking forward to, or even, you know, if they're working like front of house security, they've got draws on their attention too. I have a baseball story. Yeah, go for it, Danielle. It's directly related to this. Oh, love this. Unbelievable. If y'all have been listening for a while, you know, sports stories and me don't go together very often. Danielle drops sports knowledge. Go. (laughs) So I was recently at a baseball game in Rochester, New York. It was Star Wars night. My swag, Steve's way down on swag today, but I'm I'm all about the merch, Uh, was a lightsaber. Very exciting. Anyway, did they give out lightsabers at a baseball stadium? No, I got stadium? to buy it for five bucks. Oh, okay. It's high quality merch, five dollar <laughs> lightsaber. I loved it. Anyway, this is not important. <clears throat> anyway, so you know, stadium netting the whole thing. But you know, when I go to stuff, and and I will admit, not a huge amount of attention was paid by me to the sports. I tried a few times, but. Uh, anyway but i so i was watching the house manager ushers crowd managers whatever they're called at this particular venue and anytime a foul ball was headed up i watched them watch it i watched that the crowd managers watch where the ball was going anytime it went anywhere but the outfield Look at me using the right words, I think. Anyway, one, you know, and most of the time people were also tracking and getting very excited and people were lunging to catch the ball and show it to their seven-year-old, that sort of thing. But in one particular instance, um, the ball went up and over and did actually hit someone in the head who was not paying attention. Now, the house managers had been tracking the ball. They tracked where it went. They saw the person got hit. They saw the person got hit without, you know, not like they were fumbling it. They just did not know it was happening. So immediately somebody went to them and checked on them. Um, they made a hand signal to someone with a radio that the person had indeed gotten hit by the head and they dispatched EMT immediately. There was EMT at that person's chair, even though the person was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. They, they still dispatched within like a couple minutes. And, you know, they did the whole check the person out they were they were fine there was no transport or anything like that um but that's the other part of that so we had a physical thing to try to to make it but we still recognize risk and we recognize that these people are not paying complete attention to what's going on so that's where the training comes in for these people to be like if something does happen then you have to react to it and i was just so excited (laughs) i was like look at look look at the training look at the training (laughs) and what these stories tell me and this was a point that I tried to make in these several conversations that I've had recently, is there is no one strategy which is going to be the, here's a term that I dislike very much, best practice. There's no one strategy. There's no magical fix. I'm sorry? There's no magical fix. No, there's no magical fix. Um, There's no one thing which is the right thing to do to the exclusion of all other things. You know, you've heard Danielle and I talk about the Swiss cheese model. Lots of risk mitigation strategies are necessary precisely because we don't know which ones will work best or apply most directly on a given set of facts. 
Um, you know, Danielle, I was waiting for you to mention that after the EMT medically cleared this person, that somebody from Stadium Ops had a clipboard or some electronic <laughs> device with a waiver to sign. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any any further information as to what happened after the EMTs responded. Guy was okay, and I was I was done watching that. I was distracted by something else after. <laughs> Yeah, so baseball fans <laughs> listening to this podcast, next time you see somebody get hit by a foul ball, and I have seen this once, uh, see if somebody from Stadium Ops comes by with something that looks like a waiver. My guess is the answer will be yes. And that too is part of mitigating risk, along with netting, along with training, along with you know, dialing down the distractions for the people who are charged with safety responsibilities. These are all strategies. Is one best? I don't know. Is one better than the other? I don't know. Tell me all the other circumstances and maybe I'll triage which are the most likely to be effective. But, you know, as a general proposition, no. Let's just do as many things as we can, recognizing we think we're better at seeing risks and hazards and deviations from safe practices. We think we're better at that than we actually are. Other people are just like us. They think they're better at it than they are, which is to say we miss more than we anticipate that we will or that anyone else should. So and that's normal. And that's totally normal. So let's not, not something be all, to feel bad about. Right. It, don't <laughs> don't feel guilty, number one. And don't be judgy about it either, the way the guys that I was talking to were exceptionally judgy about the people who attend and work at events. Essentially, them asking, how could you not have seen this? And there's an answer to that question. There's an answer. Better, therefore, rather than judging or wallowing in guilt, to simply address the situation as it is. So I want to read the last sentence from this blurb from Daniel Simmons, um, or Simons, apologies. There is no magical elixir that will overcome the limits on attention, allowing you to notice everything. And that would not be a good outcome anyway, but there is something you can do to mitigate the consequences of such limits. Now that you know about inattentional blindness, you can take steps to limit it, its impact by recognizing how your intuitions will lead you astray. Awesome. It is which, pretty awesome. Which is, you know, this ties into all the stuff we always talk about. It's like, you know, planning won't save you, but a plan won't save you, but planning will because you think about it and you try to figure multiple ways to deal with this. It's the same thing because in the moment you might miss something. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. In the moment, the likelihood is that you will miss something. Mm -hmm. And in fact, depending on what your role is in any given event, you might miss many somethings. Right. I, I mean, especially since we deal with events and events are complicated the smallest event is big you know it's it's like that old uh story about somebody describes an elephant 
and each person saw or felt a different part of the element elephant and they're like it feels like a tree it feels like a branch it it's it's really hard it's really squishy it's very floppy you know it's it's like everyone's going to see what they see first of all by based on what they're near but also within their experience and what else they're paying attention to so food for thought guys um Hopefully you remember our ad from the beginning of the pod. Email address is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. We'd love to hear from you about ads or anything else. You know, science. <laughs> we, Steve and I really like these geeky ones where we go into the science. So hopefully you guys came along for the ride. Uh, please register for the Event Safety Summit. Uh, we do uh, expect seats to become limited in the coming days. It's in Houston. We've got a lot of astronaut stuff going on. We're easy to get to. Easy to get to. It's part of why we considered that site is that it's easier for people to travel there from different parts of the world. Um, anything else, Steve? Uh, it's going to be a great summit. It's going to be great. We are summit. deep in the planning of it right now. And uh, you know, without we'll giving away all the fun stuff, <laughs> it, it's going to be really good. All right. Everybody be well and stay safe. <laughs>